Welcome to the last month at the Federal Circuit, a look at recent Federal Circuit decisions impacting the intellectual property community. Finnegan partners Beth Farrell and Frank DeCosta join us now to discuss an important decision addressing artificial intelligence. So thank you both for joining us. Beth, in August, the Federal Circuit issued a decision that got quite a bit of press attention. The circuit rejected a researcher's request that an artificial intelligence machine he created be named as an inventor on two patents. Can you first just unpack the case for us? What was it all about? Sure. So uh, Stephen Thaler filed two patent applications. One was directed to a light beacon that flashes in a new manner. And a second was directed to a beverage container with a cross section that was based on fractal geometry. And instead of listing a human as the inventor on the application data sheet, Mr. Thaler listed DAUBIS, which stands for Device for the Autonomous Bootstrapping of Unified Sentience, as the solo inventor. And to make it clear that DAUBIS was not a person with only one name, he added under the last name that uh, DAUBIS was a artificial intelligence. To add to that, acting as DAUBIS's legal representative, he signed an assignment from DAUBIS to himself. And then as the applicant, he then filed a substitute statement, which is the form that you use when you can't get in touch with the inventor or the inventor refuses to sign. And in that case, he tried to submit this substitute statement on behalf of Daubus in lieu of a declaration. As a result, the patent office, taking all this into account, decided that uh, Thaler's applications were incomplete because they lacked uh, naming a valid inventor. And um, he went ahead and petitioned the PTO director, who denied uh, his petition on the grounds that a machine cannot qualify as an inventor. Uh, Thaler took his case to the Eastern District of Virginia, and uh, Judge Brinkema granted the PTO's motion for summary judgment, uh, where she concluded that an inventor must be an individual, and that individual must be a natural person. Then Mr. Thaler took his case to the Federal Circuit, and the Federal Circuit has now affirmed the district court's grant of summary judgment because an inventor must be a natural person under the United States Patent Act. Can you unpack a little bit more why the court rejected an AI machine as an inventor? Sure. In the United States, the court looks to the Patent Act, which is you know Title 35 of the U.S. Code. And there, the court found that the statute unambiguously required the inventor be a human being. The court explained that the Patent Act provides that inventors are individuals and that that is ordinarily understood to be a natural person. The court analogized this to other situations in which courts had found that individuals needed to be natural people. And and the court did that because they were trying to look to what the ordinary meaning of individuals should be because it's not actually defined in the Patent Act. And the court found that there was nothing in the Patent Act that demonstrated that Congress intended to deviate from this ordinary meaning. And so as a result, they very clearly found that an individual needs to be a natural person. Um, The court rejected a number of uh, Thaler's arguments, including that other countries outside of the United States had granted patents to Daubus because as the court put it, those foreign patent offices were not interpreting the United States Patent Act. And Frank, can you help us put this decision into context? How does it fit into others around patents and AI and inventorship? 
Right. Well, you know, as Beth said, that the nice thing about this case is that it gives us uh, a nominal bright line and lawyers like bright lines and uh, it, it provides clarity on, on the front end, meaning it gave the, the PTO support or, or it said the PTO's decision was correct in rejecting the patent application because the inventor was AI, not, not a human. So that's that's great on the front end for, for clarity. But it, it's sort of, a, I would say, a, a contrived set of circumstances, because here we have a situation where the applicant came to the PTO and said, full stop, the inventor or the applicant is is AI. And uh, the more complex question that I think we'd have to get to at some point is if there has to be a factual inquiry as to what level of contribution the AI has in an invention uh, to see whether or not it rises to the level of, of an inventor. So the question in this case wasn't looked at as an issue of, of fact. It was an issue of, of law. But we can imagine that looking forward in cases, uh, the applicant won't be so forthcoming. It'll be a typical filing where the claims will be filed. You likely name humans as, as inventors, and it may not be into litigation down the road on an issued patent where there's uh, litigation over who was who are the contributors, what level of contribution were there, what tools were used, and if AI was used as a tool, then did the contribution of AI go past the level of being a tool and rise to the level of being an inventor? In that case, the patentability would be barred at that point. So, you know, we're not there yet. We have the, the pure question that Thaler answered, that as a matter of law, the inventor has to be a human. But I think practically and looking forward, putting this in context with what's likely to happen as the case law evolves and as more robust cases are put before the, the bench, we're going to have to get into that factual inquiry that we talked about. Mm, that makes sense. And that kind of relates to this next question I have about what does the decision mean for inventors who use AI? Right. So that, that gets to the point we were making. Inventors use tools all the time to create their inventions, right? Whether they're screwdrivers, whether they're software algorithms, whether they're chemicals, they're always tools that are used as part of creating an invention. But using a tool hasn't deprived the invention from being protectable. But now we have a special class of tools that have reached prominence, and that's AI. And the typical inquiry that we go through as, as patent lawyers and counseling our clients are asking who, who was involved in the invention. And to the extent that other humans were involved, it's easy to tease out using the tools that we have available to us, whether or not the other humans contributing made a contribution that gave them status as, as an inventor. And if that determination is made that the, the human contributor is an inventor, then the remedy is naming that human as a co-inventor, and then the application can go on file to the patent office and everything proceeds uh, as, as normal. But now, because of Thaler, we have a situation where, as a patent lawyer, you're asking your client, who are the contributors? And you consider humans, but there also may be AI that was a contributor. So now, if you do that same analysis, measuring the level of contribution by the AI, and if it turns out that that level of contribution rose above the line that made it a co-inventor, then full stop under Thaler, that application is no longer eligible for patent protection. So you have a whole potential class of uh, in inventions or technology that may not be patent eligible anymore. And you know this may be more of a theoretical issue now, but as AI technology becomes more sophisticated in the future and uh, the cognitive capabilities of AI approach those of the human contributors, then that factual inquiry that I outlined may be more difficult and may ever 
be more of a practical concern and maybe more of a consequence when you talk about certain technological sectors. And just to jump in here for a second, it doesn't just affect utility patents. It's it's interesting, but the uh, the same determination of inventorship affects design patents as well. And although it may not be as prevalent as in some other, you know, sort of more highly technical fields, there have been uh, situations in which industrial designers are using artificial intelligence in the tool way that Frank suggested. But uh, we're starting to see that role be enlarged over time. And so I think that the, uh, the calculus that Frank outlined will apply eventually to design patents as well as to utility patents. And Beth, have courts in other countries addressed this issue? Where have they come out? Yeah, they have. And, and some of them have actually addressed it because of, uh, because of Mr. Thaler and Dalbus. But uh, really what it comes down to is the language, or what it seems to be coming down to is the language of the statute. So in countries where the language of the statute does not exclude AI in the definition of inventor, those include South Africa and recently in Australia, both of those countries, um, it does seem as though an AI may be listed as an inventor in a patent. South Africa actually granted the application with Dalbus as the inventor, but in Australia, a five-judge panel recently overruled an earlier decision finding that it was actually appropriate under the legislative history of the Australian Patent Act to award um, inventorship to Dalbus because they found it was consistent with the assumption that human endeavor is the origin of entitlement to the grant of the patent. So I think what they're going for there is, is that if the AI was developed by a human originally, then they can trace that inventorship back to a human, which under Australian law is, uh, is acceptable. But that's not how it's coming out everywhere. Both the EPO in Europe as well as the UK IPO have um, have rejected Dalbus, the Dalbus related applications, finding that they basically don't meet the requirement that the inventor be a human being. So in those two countries, they have uh, a law that is is more aligned with the United States. That's very helpful. Frank, as you've alluded to this already, this is not the last decision on AI and inventorship. What questions does this decision leave answered? What will you be? Well, there, there, there are lots of questions, but, but two that, that immediately came to mind are, one is, uh, what are technology companies or what are applicants to do? Uh, if it turns out they're using AI technology and, and they're concerned or whether there's been a determination that the, the participation or the contribution that AI runs afoul of the Thaler test. What 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 are folks to do? And uh, you know, there's always a triage that we do when trying to figure out how to protect IP. And within AI, within the AI spectrum, there's often a balance between using trade secrets and patents for protecting the same type of invention. So the consequence of Thaler may well be that there may be more of a skew towards protecting IP using trade secret regime as opposed to using the patent regime. Now, that's not a panacea. You can't always use trade secret as a default when you can't pursue patent protection. Uh, for example, if you have technology that's easily reverse engineerable in the commercial product and there are other considerations. So uh, it's not a pure switch the switch to, to the trade secret dial from patent dial to avoid Thaler, but that's one strategy that we're 
considering. Uh, and then the other is, is just more of a, a policy decision. And that's the question about whether or not you want AI to have property rights at all. So, you know, the whole issue about whether or not AI can be an inventor, one consequence of inventorship under uh, U.S. law is that uh, in the first instance, the inventor is the owner of patent rights. And patent rights are the ability, uh, like any other property right, to, to sell the rights, to lease the rights, to license the rights, to uh, pledge the rights as collateral. So there are lots of things you can do with a property right. And had Thaler come out the other way and said that uh, the AI is an inventor, it would have been an owner of a property right. And that creates a whole set of, of policy issues uh, by, by itself, potentially. Mm. And Beth, any final thoughts from you? Yes. One thing that I think is kind of interesting about this uh, this situation is, is it lands upon the interpretation of the Patent Act. And if the Patent Act changes at some point in the future, um, perhaps to no longer require the inventor to be a human being, I wonder whether that would make certain inventions of the type that Frank described that sort of are either reverse engineerable or, or sort of necessarily disclosed for whatever reason, it would, it would then create this kind of bubble of AI type, you know, invented inventions that were not patent protectable if the statute were to change later on to allow um, AI to be considered an inventor. Okay. Well, thank you, Beth. And thank you, Frank. Our guests have been Beth Farrell and Frank DaCosta of Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.